Certainly in our uh, Torah portion, for the first day of uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, the, uh, theme, the theme seems to be childbearing, right? We have uh, the birth of uh, Isaac, and then the birth of uh, Samuel. So that, uh, is, uh, that in and of itself is very interesting. Now, of course, so we could say then that, uh, well, then the theme is about children. The focus is on uh, uh, children. Well, that would be good. Maybe one of these days, uh, that's what we'll do. I remember a few years ago giving a message on uh, the, hom- the homeless woman, uh, Hagar, uh, and, and her son, uh, and, the, uh, and, the graciousness, uh, and the graciousness of God. Uh, and so um, it is uh, indeed very interesting uh, to think in those terms. However, this morning we're going to think a little bit more in terms of uh, new things. You know, on uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, we think uh, of new things. It's, it's the new year. It is the, the uh, Jewish uh, New Year. And you may be wondering, why do we call it the New Year? Uh, well, again, uh, this uh, goes back to the sages of Israel who uh, came to the conclusion that uh, this was a new year. There's some agricultural reasons for it. It is uh, the first day of the seventh month. Uh, it is uh, the beginning of the, the fall season. You know, something to remember uh, on this holiday uh, is the fact that um, uh, Sukkot is not too many days from now. It's 15 days from now, right? So the kickoff of this season, of, this, uh, of the season of harvesting and of the season of planting is, is upon us. And there are many who believe that this season of the year was chosen uh, way back when to be the time of year of repentance uh, and of uh, the nation uh, um, being um, reconciled to God because it reflected the, the season of the year, that it was reflective of the season, that in this season there is harvesting and then there is planting. And so when we repent, uh, when we uh, return to God, when we as a people are reconciled to God, it is in a sense a harvest, right? Uh, and in a way, Yeshua himself alludes to that when he says the fields are white unto harvest. And he likens going and bringing the message of good news and subsequently people receiving this message, as a harvest. And so, uh, 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 we could understand Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you know, as, as a harvest, and Sukkot as rejoicing in the harvest. Now, I am not a farmer, nor the son of a farmer, but I did marry into some relatives. <laughs> and, uh, and what I have learned is that, you know, there's never a dull moment. Or you could say there are many dull moments. <laughs> but anyway, now there's never a dull moment. That uh, there, uh, it's, uh, as, soon as, you get, as soon as you work all that time to bring in the harvest, right? 
You, gotta, you, have to play, you have to get ready for the next season, right? And, and there's a rainy season, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know too much about all this, uh, you know. But what I, I do know is, is that it's very cyclical, and that you can't just, uh, unless it's a time of letting the, uh, the soil lay fertile, which, by the way, that is the year in Israel, the Shemitah year. But anyway... Uh, that uh, you have to get the, the, the um, soil ready and you, and you plant again. And so, therefore, you have the end of the year and a beginning of the year. It took me many words to get to that point. Okay? Uh, you have the end of the year and you have the beginning of, of, of the year. And just like in December, it's only because we have a calendar of some sort that we know that when what, one day is the last day of the year, and the next day is the first day of the year. If you just look at it horizontally, it's just the next day, right? Uh, and so these seasons obviously overlap, the end and the beginning. And so they overlap here. So agriculturally, it is the end of the year and the beginning of the year. And uh, there are many who, who believe that these holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, are grouped together to be, as it were, the end of the year and the beginning of the year, kind of all, all at once. And as I said last night, also, uh, if you go back and you read the literature, if you go back and you read the rabbinic literature, the, the literature on all of this and why we do what we do and how we observe and celebrate, there is much to be said for the notion that Sukkot was the main holiday and that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur were leading to Sukkot. And that's very interesting. That is not the way we understand it at, at all uh, today. In fact, uh, you may not even be aware of it, but Sukkot is considered a, a minor holiday. It's not part of the High Holy Days. The High Holy Days is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And for obvious reasons, uh, repentance, reconciliation to God, and all of that. And Sukkot uh, is a, considered a minor, uh, a minor holiday, like Shavuot, uh, frankly. Uh, so it's just rather, it's a rather interesting when you see the evolution of, of how the holidays come about and transpire and are observed. Uh, and, uh, and so it is a time of, of new beginnings, of starting again. And, and so last night we were talking about Psalm 27, and in Psalm uh, 27, there we uh, asked ourselves the question at the beginning, how can we say, how do we have the chutzpah to say, I have no fear, whom shall I fear, and whom shall I dread? You know, it's easy to throw out platitudes and little spiritual phrases, you know, but I don't know about you, but like we said last night, it's a scary world. You know, it is scary. And, and in this world, there's a lot to fear, right? So uh, we, uh, we said that, well, if we just see ourselves as the object of it all, there is a lot to fear. But if we see ourselves as being part of what God is doing, then we see that we're part of, greater, part of something much greater than ourselves and something that does indeed bring victory. And uh, being part of God's uh, God's work in this world, we do not have to fear. We follow the Lord, and, and he indeed is victorious. And we talked all about that. But we did kind of at the end say 
uh, that to be part of this, to enter in, you know, enter into his tabernacle, enter into his hiding place, enter into his house of the Lord, we need to embrace Yeshua, right? And to embrace Yeshua doesn't mean simply uh, assent, like, that sounds good, I'll go with that, or uh, from, all, from everything I've read, I think I can come to the conclusion that uh, Yeshua is the Messiah. So I'm with you. That's assent. What we're talking about, embracing Yeshua, we're talking about transformation. See? Embracing Yeshua means that there is a heartfelt change that takes place. A heartfelt change that takes place. And it's not always spontaneous. And it isn't always in a moment of time, you know? That's why not everybody can always pinpoint the exact moment that they embrace the Lord. I always like to say, well, we, I said, well when did you pray to receive the Lord? But he, here's the question. Did I embrace him before I prayed? Like in the middle of the prayer? At the end of the prayer? When I, or maybe an hour before because I said, I think I'm going to pray? When did I embrace you? See, you see, obviously, there that how silly it is for us to think that the, at what moment did did I did, you know did I really have this uh, embracing of Messiah? Well, I think that uh, uh, when we say uh, when we pray to know the Lord, that's okay because it helps us to have a time frame. Of course, the Bible tells us you you go and get immersed. That's that's how you know. That's the outward, uh, the outward manifestation of the inward uh, uh, embracing of Messiah is immersion. Now, I said that for a reason, We're going, and we'll, we'll come back to that reason uh, in just a moment. But the point of it is, is that part of this transformation, yes, God does a work in our heart, but there is a response, and there's a response from the heart, and that response is what we call in English repentance. Repentance, Right? Uh, what is the first word that Yeshua said? What was his, the, you know, his first message? Repent. Repent. The first word. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. So uh, we just want to talk a little bit this morning about uh, repentance. About repentance. Repentance means to turn. Shuv. It means to turn. To go a different direction. Right? Uh, in Greek also, to turn or to, to think differently, uh, 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 to uh, move from uh, you know, one thought to another, to go in a different way. But we are trained in our uh, lives uh, and oftentimes in our relationship, as we've been taught, that it's a change of mind. It's a change of mind. For example, in uh, the New Covenant, in uh, Romans chapter 12, we read here, at the beginning of the chapter, a passage you're familiar with, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service uh, of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? 
Uh, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly than himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Okay? And then we read uh, these great verses. For just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. We who are many are one body and Messiah and individually members of it. And it goes on to talk about uh, uh, gifts and, and how we function in the body. But notice here that the equivalent of renewing your mind is the uh, renewing your mind is described in these later verses. Okay? And so if you go down to like verse 7, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, He exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Farther down, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, and so on. The point is, is that even in the Brit Hadashah, when we read about uh, here, renewing the mind, and, uh, and we see in the Gospels this description of repenting, it always has to do with some kind of physical activity. Some kind of physical activity. When we uh, repent, we're called to right, turn around and go a different direction. Uh, to return, we like to use that word, to return uh, to uh, the Lord. Okay? Uh, and uh, in uh, the scriptures, for example, if you go back to in the Torah and you go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see a great illustration. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is explaining ultimately what, uh, what, is, going to, uh, what is going to happen uh, uh, to, to the people. He if you read, this was last week's Torah portion. If you read the whole thing, you'll see that he's saying that, you know, I know what you're like, and I know that you are going to uh, disobey. And so if that should happen, and you are exiled out of the land, know that all is not lost. Know that uh, the day will come uh, when, you, when you return. Okay? Now, in chapter 30, we have this beautiful uh, illustration, an example of what it means to repent, what it means to return. Okay? So it says at the beginning of chapter 30, So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you are outcasts or at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. From there he will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart 
and the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that uh, you may live. And the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies, on all who hate you, who persecute you. And you shall obey uh, the Lord and observe all his commandments, which I am uh, commanding you. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hands and the offspring of your body and the offspring of your cattle and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God, keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law. If you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Okay? And by the way, notice... Now you're going to say, wait, I've heard some of this before. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. Hmm. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us uh, to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. This is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, just before what, uh, what we said after Avinu Malkenu. If you flip over there to Romans chapter 10, notice in verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Yeshua as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You shall be saved, for with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Okay? For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. All right? So, it's interesting that Paul looks at Deuteronomy chapter 30 as this is what has taken place. And, and in embracing Yeshua and in receiving the Ruach HaKodesh, this is what the prophets talked about, that I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to walk in my ways. That's what Ezekiel 36 says, that God would give us a new heart and he'd give us a new spirit and cause us to walk in his ways. And so Paul understands here that uh, what we have here is, is that in Yeshua, he is indeed Torah. When we embrace him, this is the goal of, uh, of Torah is uh, intimacy with God. Not the end of it, not the cessation of it, but rather uh, that its goal has been reached, and that is Yeshua, that the goal of, uh, of the covenant relationship, the goal of, of all of it is a return. And so that's what takes place in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and that's what takes place when we uh, uh, confess Yeshua. And say we, can, we return to a place that we have never been, right? Uh, and, and so, uh, here we have this, uh, this great picture of, of return. But notice in chapter 30, and just flip through all of the prophets, that the return is not simply something that we think in our heads. It is actions. Israel, the Jewish people, return to the Lord. That means they return to the land. 
That means the return to a particular way of life. Perhaps that had never even been experienced before. And so, when we repent, when we turn, we return to the Lord and we're called to live a different way of life, right? Uh, and so, therefore, part of, uh, of uh, repenting is forsaking and then moving in a different direction. And so, when we talk about uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah being a, you know, the new year, being a, a time of new things, epitomized by the birth of Isaac and the birth of Samuel, uh, new life, right? A, a moving forward in God's covenant relationship. May I suggest that uh, that every day, of course, should be a day of repentance, and every day should be a day of turning and moving toward God. But that on Rosh Hashanah, He gives us a day because we're human and we need this. A day to remember the sound of the shofar that wakes us up and and causes us to turn and to move. So new things, when we talk about turning and moving, we can make the application not only uh, to our sins, certainly that is uh, uh, the the, the primary place where we uh, 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 turn and move. Uh, However, uh, in many different aspects of our life, God desires that we move and that we move forward and that we continually are uh, uh, facing him and walking toward him, right? Uh, uh, you know, Paul talks about this movement in a very interesting place. We won't talk about the whole passage, but just this one aspect of it. And it's in uh, Philippians in the third chapter. Paul's talking about the, um, his desire to know more of God, to know him in verse 10 of chapter 3, know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And basically, earlier in the chapter, what he's doing, he said, there's nothing more important than this, you know? And uh, so he says to them, even though I'm Jewish, and that is my identity, and that will always be my identity, my primary identity is, uh, is in Messiah, is in the Lord. And there's nothing more important than me to, to know him. But then notice what he says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Messiah Yeshua. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward for what lies ahead. And then he says, of course, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Messiah Yeshua. I would suggest that this is a life of repentance. This is a continuous life of repentance. Not a, Lord, forgive me because I did this thing. Lord, I'm sorry you caught me. That's usually how we define uh, it. But of course, you know, uh, when we repent, we're agreeing with God. When we confess a sin, the, the, the meaning of the word, we agree with God, right, about something, and, and, we, and, we, turn, uh, and we turn from it. So I would suggest that when, when he says here, I, I uh, forget what lies behind and reach forward to lies ahead. Think about when you go back to the, the, the Torah and the calling of, 
of everybody. The calling of Abraham, okay? If you go all the way back to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abram, okay? He says here, God said to Abram, go forth from your country. You know, it's very, it's very strong in Hebrew. Lech lecha, go, go. It's, you know, if you had the Amplified Bible, maybe that's what it would say, okay? You know what I mean by that, okay. All right, now the Lord uh, said to Abram, go, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that's fascinating when you, when you just think about that. This is a very good illustration of a repentance, of a turning and of moving forward and not looking back. Now, you know, he didn't do exactly what God said. He took his nephew. Did his nephew cause him trouble? I think so. Just an interesting observation in the text. But anyway, uh, uh, he turned and he moved and he went forward and he did not return. See, repentance is in a way, a way of life of following God. When we sin, yes, re repent, turn from your sins and be saved. Yes, uh, uh, no doubt. Uh, but it's more than that. It's turn from your whole worldview. <laughs> it's turn from life as you knew it and follow me. Isn't that when, when in the end of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, when Yeshua is calling his disciples, that's what he basically tells them to do. Drop everything and follow me. It is a radical transformation that takes place over a lifetime. That's what we mean, really, when we talk about repentance. Okay? Uh, uh, not only that, but there, there's uh, uh, other illustrations that bring out other fantastic truths about this. And another one is the entire wilderness wandering. When God brought the Jewish people out of Egypt, right? They wanted to go back, but they could not go back. They, why did they want to go? They wanted to go back because it was comfortable. They wanted to go back because they knew where their next meal was coming from. They wanted to go back because that's what they were used to. But they were called to go forward, to move forward, to leave Egypt and to, follow, uh, and to follow the Lord. And God, we read throughout the wilderness wanderings, gave them everything uh, that they needed uh, for this new life, even when it was difficult. You're familiar uh, with that in, uh, in Deuteronomy, in the eighth chapter. We read here, And you shall remember all the way, in verse 2, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your clothes did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Okay? Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his sons. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. 
uh, and then, interestingly enough, he gives this great vision of the land that they had never seen. And he says, for the Lord, because, or for the Lord, is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you shall not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig the copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. So he's saying to them, I took you out of Egypt, right? And I would not let you go back. And there are many stories uh, in the uh, Torah about they wanted to go back or they didn't trust God to move forward and they ended up having to repent, right? And move forward because God would not let them ultimately move backward. Even though for all those years they were in that desert, they did not have everything, but they had what they needed. And it was difficult. God was disciplining them. He was training them because there was something good that they were headed toward. See? Now, all along the way, like I said, there was the temptation not to continue moving. There was a temptation not to continue moving. Uh, One of them is in Deuteronomy chapter, uh, chapter 1. This is a passage we've kind of been talking a lot about in our leadership, in our elders' meetings and Shamashim meetings and so on. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, um, Moses is recounting the history. Okay? And he says to them, that they were, uh, you know, they were at uh, the uh, they were at the mountain, and he says, "God spoke to us at Horeb. Horeb is the same as Sinai." Okay, now you know from Exodus that you know it was a, it was a, a, a quite a journey to get out of Egypt, which will also I'm not going in chronological order, but we'll look at a couple of those examples, and uh, and uh, it took them some months, and then they got to Sinai. And they had this great moment with God, and they stayed there for months. They were there for months. And you know, they were kind of getting used to it. Like, okay, this will work for us. But we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, The Lord our God spoke to us at Chorob, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and then on into the Negev and so on. But isn't really that our story of living a life of repentance? Living a life of constantly moving forward toward God. Right? Turn, shuv, turn. You could say, repent. And set your journey. Keep moving. God is saying that indeed to the Israelites. And he says that, uh, uh, to us. In a sense, that's what Paul is saying in that Philippians passage. Not that I've obtained it yet, but I'm, I'm moving forward and I'm not looking back. And so when we come to embrace Yeshua, now we're called into the service of God for his purpose and we're called not to look back, not to go backwards, but to move forward and to continue uh, on this, uh, on this uh, uh, journey 
uh, in this life that in many places in the new covenant is likened unto a wilderness experience. Uh, because God has called us uh, uh, not to be uh, complacent, but to continue to, to move, to move forward. Now, if you go back to Exodus chapter 14, Okay, so they go out on a limb and they follow Moses out of, uh, out of Egypt, out into this wilderness. And we read now in verse 10, they see that we now have a real problem. We've come up to this water and we see on the other side, Pharaoh and his army is coming toward us. Why couldn't we just leave well enough alone? If it's not broken, what do we got to fix it for? If, it, you know, we, uh, we knew where our next meal was coming from. Uh, we understand, uh, you know, uh, who you are, Moses. But now look at this fine mess you've gotten us into. And in verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near... The sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in a wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? What, you couldn't have enough fun in Egypt? You had to come out here and take us along with you? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, like I told you so, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That's, shall we say, their first mistake. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. And then verse 14, which is a great little verse. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Okay? I, and then, you know, I could just spend hours on that. Okay? The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. But the next verse, then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Stop crying. Start moving. That's what he's saying. Okay? Uh, and God says to all of us in the very same way, You're part of what I'm doing in this world. I, I got the plan. I've got the strategy. What I want you to do is follow it. Listen to me. Live my way. Walk with me. Follow me. And you will eventually get to that promised land. But you've got to quit looking back, turn, and move forward, and keep moving. Now, you know, Paul himself, in the Brit Hadashah, he did have a little bit, I believe, of a hard time with this, even though, you know, he, he wrote it and he, and he did indeed move forward. Because there are some places in the text, you know, where he says things like, I'm the chiefest of sinners. 
He remembered who he was. He remembered the fact, he remembered his sin, and he remembered how God had redeemed him, and he remembered this grace. But you see, the redeeming thing here is he didn't go back, he didn't wallow in it. He didn't wallow in it and say, you know, I, I am so unworthy that I'm just stopping. I'm so, I am not worthy of this calling, so therefore, I'm just going back, I'm making tents, and I'm just going to wallow uh, in, uh, you know, and sing uh, Linda, Ronstadt's, uh, Linda Ronstadt's song, Poor Pitiful Me, okay? Uh, and, uh, and that, of course, would have been a tragedy. That, of course, would have been horrible, but that is what we fight all the time. So, see, it's one thing when we say repent, but it's not simply a moment. It's not simply uh, confess your sin to God. It's turn and live differently. Turn and recognize that in the Lord, there is a different motivation. There is a different way of life. There's a different way to deal with issues. Uh, and it's not just about me. It's not, about, not even just. It's not about me. It's about this grand plan of God, of the redemption of the whole world. And that's what we're all part of. You see? Uh, and so, th therefore, what a isn't it great to be in this group of people that have this calling and this mission and have uh, the leader of leaders to follow and know that he's taken us the right way and all we got to do is follow his plan and direction. It might be rough on us, and we may not even see the ultimate fruition in our own lifetime, but we're part of getting us there. Wow! That's motivating. That's motivating. So hopefully, uh, you know, that gives us a little motivation to say, you know what? I'm going to pray, Lord uh, yes, I confess my sin. Lord, give me a heart to serve. You know, change my heart. Uh, and so, but the challenge for us is let's do things new. Let's do things new. Let's say, first of all, in our own lives and, uh, you know, in our own walk with God, I am going to not just think about repentance and think slash pray repentance, I'm going to do slash pray repentance. I am going to uh, uh, discipline myself or I will make myself accountable to be disciplined so I don't fall into that temptation. I will make sure that I don't talk like that again. How am I going to make sure of that? You know, we ultimately, we do what we want to do. Okay. Now, we might say, but I can't help myself. We can begin training to change. Not everything is chemical, okay? And not everything is because I was raised that way. That is what spiritual transformation is. Spiritual transformation is I don't have to settle for that. We don't have to stay in Egypt. I don't have to live in that rut, right? And I can't remember, oh, I should, I should remember a good friend of mine, I uh, said a little nice thing to me about being in a rut. I can't remember what it was, but it had to do with maybe laying, maybe had to do with laying horizontally in the ground, if you know what I mean. All right? Uh, that uh, uh, let us 
move, let us make Rosh Hashanah really be something new. Because you see, when we talk about repentance, we are, because we're human beings, repentance, our walk with God, everything about it, there has to be a physical manifestation to it. It includes the internal. It includes, I'm thinking about good things, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm praying. And, but in order for there to be real change in our lives, there has to be some kind of physical manifestation. When the Jewish people uh, were, uh, got to the other end of the desert, you know, the beginning of it, they had the waters parted of the, the Red Sea. But then when they got to the other end of it, there was another body of water, which makes for great teaching and preaching. Yes, there was the Jordan River, right? How are we going to get across there now? It says in uh, Joshua, the fords of the Jordan were high. You know, it was, uh, it's like Alum Creek after it rains for three days. You know what I mean? It's overflowing its banks. Uh, what are we going to do? And so what did they do? The leadership, the leadership started walking into the water. They didn't, they, they were, they, God did not say, wait, you walk in the water. You got to follow me. You're following me. And what, and there was a physical representation of that. That was the Ark of the Covenant. They needed this. See? So they began walking in the water and God began to dry up the water so that everyone could cross. But the leaders had to go first and they had to walk in the water. You see? Uh, not looking back, not looking at every obstacle, not saying we can't do this, not saying it's impossible for me, not saying you don't know me, not saying um, uh, this is not the way I was raised, not saying it doesn't feel right, I'm leaving my comfort zone, I can't live this way. Uh, no, I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to trust him. When we talk about do I really have faith and do I really have trust, you have faith and you have trust if you can, if you can truly make it Begin to make a change in your life and trust God to bring you through it, right? And what did we say last night? Remember that how do we experience the presence of God? Not by ourselves, but in community. If we're a lone ranger, it's very hard. But we experience the presence and the power of God through, you know, his moral attributes that we share in our lives with each other. And, uh, and so this is what God uh, uh, calls us to do. Even when the children of Israel in Jeremiah's day, you know, there's a famous passage in Jeremiah 29. And you know it because it's been quoted out of context a billion, trillion times. Okay? In uh, Jeremiah 29, this is where Jeremiah has, again, the chutzpah to say, Go to Babylon and knock yourselves out. He says, um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is in verse 4, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply these and do not decrease. And seek the welfare, the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. Then you will have welfare. If you jump down to verse 11, this is the famous verse. 
Well, I'll read verse 10 too. For thus, thus says the Lord, when the 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. And he says, I will be found by you, I'll gather you, and, and, and so on. So Jeremiah says, go to Babylon and know that I haven't forsaken you. You follow the world, you follow the word of God, even into Babylon, even into exile. And know that the plans that I have plans for you, first of all, and know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And that is exactly the, the, the truth with us. In a way, we are in that exile. We're in exile in this world, in, in this life. And we get through this life. But we follow the, the way of the Lord. We don't turn back. We keep moving forward. When we embrace Yeshua, we, be, we truly begin in earnest this journey of turning. See? And so, uh, may it be uh, a time of new things, knowing that the plans that God has ultimately are for welfare, are for good, and not for calamity when we follow the way of the Lord. Even if it's difficult. Even if the discipline of walking rightly with God uh, doesn't seem to bear immediate fruit uh, in our lives. And so, individually, that's what we should be doing. All things new. But also communally, all things new. You know, God has called us on this journey, as a community on this journey. And we also uh, desire not to be complacent, not to be in a rut, not to say, well, this is how we've done it, and so this is the way we'll always do it, right? Some a wise uh, uh, leader once said to me many, many years ago, you know, when you ask the question, why are we doing this? You know, and we answer it, because we've always done it this way, that is indeed the kiss of death, right? The answer should never be because this is the way we've always done it. Why are we doing it? Just, you know, you know uh, what, is the, what is the redemptive purpose of it? What, what, you know? And so the same thing in our, in our lives. Why do I act the way I do? Because I always have, you know? Uh, well, God has called you and I on a journey. Individually, we need to turn from our sins. We need to begin living differently. We need to begin relating differently. Uh, we need to view our world differently and, and make a difference, maybe in the way, we, the way we act at work, the way we act at home, the way we, we, um, we carry ourselves. That's what repentance is, see? Uh, and as a community, we need to be thinking about moving forward. What are ways that we at Beth Messiah can expand the work that God has given to, me, to us? to expand our work of equipping people for the work of the ministry. Uh, how can we uh, ex expand uh, our testimony in this community? Uh, is it by doing things the way we've always done them? Is it uh, by, uh, with the certain boundaries that we, you know, that we see ourselves in? No. We like to say, 
like when, when we talk about learning, we're a community of lifelong learners. Well, we're, and we're always in the process of becoming. This is true completely. We're always in the process of moving. And so we're entering our 40th year. And how symbolic is that? <laughs> you know, uh, when it comes to uh, thinking in terms of moving forward. All right, we're completing our 40th year as a community, as, as a congregation, and our seventh year here at, uh, at this location on Morris Road. And both very symbolic of time for movement. What is God going to do with us in the next year? Wow. You know, we, we do uh, in our leadership meetings, in our, in our elders meetings, in our Shamashi meetings, we think about ways of thinking outside the box of creating opportunities for more learning, of creating opportunities for us, just like we saw last night in uh, Psalm 27, that when he talks about staying in the house of the Lord all the days of his life to behold the beauty of the Lord, that there's a physical aspect to that. And we need to think about our, our synagogue here. Okay, we're, we're kind of used to the way this is. Maybe there's some things we can do here. Maybe things that we never thought were even possible to do here to enhance not only our worship experience on Shabbat morning, but our communal experience uh, 24-7, uh, you know, all the days of our lives, uh, as uh, the psalmist says. And what are things we can do to equip us so that we can really make a difference in this community and be a brighter light in the midst of darkness? See, this is, it's all about repenting. It's all about turning and saying, Lord, change us, move us, move us forward, draw us closer to you. But all of it must start from the very beginning of repenting, turning from sin to God. Turning from sin to God and then moving indeed forward. Why did our ancestors have such a hard time in the wilderness? They did not turn from sin to God. It took a long time. Why did they end up in exile? They did not turn from sin to God. Uh, why all of the problems to this very day, we do not turn from sin to God. We need to turn from sin to God, follow him, and off we go. Because, he, because in him is indeed the victory. And so if you are stuck, let me just close by saying this. If you are stuck, stuck in life, first of all, you need to turn to the Lord. You know, turning to God is not just about theology. It's not just about, uh, I'm going to break this bad habit. It's about a transformation of life. It's about an abundant life, a robust life, uh, an, an, uh, a not mundane life of walking with God and making a difference in this world. See? So if you're stuck, if you look at this world and you watch the news, you say, oh, it's so bad. What, you know, what difference does anything make? Or you hate your, just your living situation, whatever it may be, or your life situation. You pray, Lord, search me and know me. God will, if you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. And there's conviction that comes with that. And, and a new vision of life in Messiah. And so first we have to embrace him. We have to embrace him and initially turn from our sins and we belong to him and we're part of now his vision uh, for this world but once we're there we have to continually 
Pray, Lord, get me out of this rut. Get me out of this mundane, mediocre uh, way that I'm living, Lord. I want to live that energized life of, of, uh, of abundance in you. And as you face God, as you begin to walk with Him, He will begin the process in you of you physically moving in different directions. And just like we read uh, at, uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, uh, in the 12th chapter, you have this great vision of movement. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so eagerly entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race of life, you know? And not, not necessarily meaning run fast. It's not about how fast you go. It's not about, it's about endurance. It's, it's like a marathon, you know? It's not about that I win. It's that I get to the finish line in, in, in one piece, you know? And, and not only in one piece, but moving across that finish line. How exhilarating is that, you know? Uh, not crawling to it, but having endured, not hitting the wall, just accomplishing that. Think in those terms here about running this race uh, in Messiah. Paul uses, uh, and all of the writers of the scriptures use uh, these kinds of metaphors for a reason, you know? Fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame uh, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Do not grow weary. Do not lose heart in your life. You may think, I have been dealt a bad hand. Regardless, you have the king of kings who you're following. Okay? You take that and you just keep moving. You keep moving and you will begin to see it differently. You will begin to see it differently. You will frame the issues differently. You will not view the bad hand in the same way. You'll say, I have a hand of opportunity. You know? Uh, oh, look at how God is training me and, and discipling me into the image of Messiah in, in this. Wow, God is always at work. And so that, my friends, is where we need to go. We need to not be walking forward by facing backwards, right? We need to, and we, not, and we should not be turning around and walking backwards. And we should not be lolling and wallowing in self-pity and poor pitiful me and I'm, I'm never going to get out of this. That is the flesh talking. That is not God talking. God says, follow me. Follow me. And he even says to these fishermen, you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You know, can you imagine, what, what a vision statement that is. You're fishing here for fish. You follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You follow the Lord, he will make, you will become a difference maker in this world. Let us not get stuck at the mountain. It is time for us to move. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, God, for the challenge of your word. Lord, thank you that we, in this community at Beth Messiah, 
we are full of people to help us all along that journey so that we're not by ourselves. And there's plenty of folks to help us, God. But Lord, I pray that we might realize that walking with you, that, that knowing you, walking with you, um, obeying you is very physical in nature. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that uh, we would recognize that and that it might start in our thinking, but it needs to move to action. And as it moves to action, it becomes real in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would see that when we say, I repent of an attitude or I repent of, a, uh, of doing something wrong, and we actually, maybe at the beginning, force ourselves to do right, that you bless that physical act of repentance. Lord, and I pray that you would surround us with voices of encouragement. Lord, that, that would be like cheerleaders on the side of the road saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. Lord, and I pray, God, that uh, we would be like the, the, the people uh, that uh, 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 help along the way saying, here, hold my arm, eat this, move forward, you can do it so that we continually uh, move forward in this life of repentance. And Lord, I pray that just as we physically need the, we need the immersion and we need the, the, to speak the prayer, it does indeed make it some, somehow more real because we're physical people and we relate physically. And so God, uh, I pray God, whether we're talking about our own lives or even our own community here. I pray, God, that you would take us out of our comfort zone. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to make decisions that require faith and trust and following you, Lord. And as we make them and as we do them, may we see the fruit born. Lord, we thank you, God, for this rich life of, uh, of abundance that you give us, Lord, when we do indeed continue on the journey. Let us not lose heart. Let us keep the confidence because you who began a good work in us will continue it to the day of Messiah, Yeshua. He who is in us is greater uh, than he uh, who is in the world. Lord, we thank you. Let us not settle for mediocrity. Let us know that you have indeed filled us, filled us you have uh, indeed now empowered us to live that kind of life. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for Rosh Hashanah, the new year. May it, may it indeed be one. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.